Hello to everyone on Facebook. This is Bill Allen coming to you live from Tyler, Texas, the downtown area. Very warm day in Tyler. Storms coming through tonight, I've heard, but today has been a little bit overcast, but warm. And uh, I hope that things are well where you are. I'm excited about the lesson today and glad to have you joining in, whether you are watching live. We begin these at 3 p.m. Central Time. And uh, or you may be watching it a little bit later, either on my Facebook page or uh, on our West Irwin Church of Christ or West Irwin Live Facebook pages or our website, westirwin.com. And that's Irwin with an E, E-R-W-I-N. And uh, you go over to um, our live streaming page over through social media and other resources. Click on the live streaming page and Go down to archives and that's where you'll find it, along with a whole lot of other lessons as well. I hope the Lord is blessing you this week and that you are doing well and that your loved ones are doing well. We continue to remember and ask God's uh, providential hand to be with all of those who are struggling in Ukraine because of the Russian uh, bombing and for those who have fleed, uh, have already had to flee from their homes and others who are doing that right now. And we pray that God will bring about peace and justice soon and that his will uh, will be done. We pray for all of the leaders that are involved, not only in Russia and in Ukraine, but in the United States and in the surrounding nations and other nations as well. So keep that situation in your prayers. I know you do. It's hard to uh, go through a, a very long time each day without thinking of that. Today, we, uh, I apologize for the technical problems. Uh, the end of last week, we had a few problems and issues. I think that my good friend Terry has helped me to uh, figure that out, and now we are wired. And uh, so I hope that that gives us a little bit more consistency in our uh, program and in our uh, video presentation. Uh, so I'm sorry that even though we're wired, I still look the same and that's just, you know, that's just the way that is. So uh, we're in, we've been in the book of Judges. We're going to finish that out. This is the transition time. We saw a transition time from the leadership of Moses to the leadership of Joshua. That went pretty seamlessly and immediately. Uh, but, and then after Joshua dies, you have the judges that come up and they're going along uh, for a few hundred years. And then finally, uh, afterwards, uh, Samuel is the last of the judges, and he is the one who anoints the first king of Israel, King Saul, a Benjamite of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, but I want us to get there, and to do that, I want us to take a look at a couple of ladies that were very, very faithful, very, very strong, and then we'll get to Samuel and Saul today. So if you have your Bible, turn over or click over. Uh, to the very last words in the book of Judges. We'll review a little bit from uh, the story of Ruth because uh, we had a hard time sharing that last week. But the very last book, uh, very last verse of the book of Judges, Judges chapter 21, verse 25 says this, In those days Israel had no king, everyone did as he saw fit. And you know that that's just not going to work very well for very long because we're humans, whether it's in the days of the judges uh, 34 or so hundred years ago or today or whenever uh, people left to their own, uh, it just doesn't go very well. 
And so the people uh, were doing the best they could. They had those regional military leaders. We looked at them last week, such as Jephthah and Samson, Deborah, Gideon, others. And then at the end of the book of Judges, it simply gives that commentary, a statement that had been made a few other times in the book of Judges. Everyone did just as they saw fit. And then we turn over to the book of Ruth. And Ruth uh, is there uh, because uh, this story comes during the time of the Judges. That's what we read about. And it's the story of a couple, uh, Elimelech and Naomi. And they're married and they have two sons. And because of famine where they live, and they live in the area of Bethlehem. That's a familiar name, isn't it? Uh, because of famine, they go to the region of Moab and try to find relief. And while they're there, Naomi's husband dies, uh, and her two sons uh, marry Moabite women, and then her two sons die. So now she is left in a foreign land with uh, two daughters-in-law who are Moabites, who are the hated enemies of the Jews, and, um, and then she hears that there's been relief at her homeland, and so she's going to go back. She tells her daughters-in-law, look, you stay here. Uh, Mary, I hope the Lord blesses you. They both say, no, 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 we're going to stay with you. And then she tells them again, look, I can't, I can't bring you uh, a son. If I had him today, uh, would you wait uh, until he has grown to marry you? And um, I, I just can't help you anymore. You need to stay. And, um, and so one of the daughters-in-law does that. But the other daughter-in-law, Ruth, uh, has these wonderful words that you hear at weddings and you hear in other places, words of devotion and loyalty and commitment. Uh, in Ruth 1 verse 16, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death, separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth demonstrated, I'm not going anywhere without you, and I'm not letting you go anywhere without me. What a wonderful, wonderful tribute. And so she does. So Naomi goes back to Bethlehem, back to her people, and now we're in her homeland and not Ruth's. And Ruth is the outcast. Ruth is the person that's from another nation, a pagan nation. But she goes with Naomi, and when Naomi gets there, everyone is happy until they hear her story. And she says, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me blessed. Call me bitter, because the Lord has, has made me bitter, and the Lord has uh, dealt very severely with me. And so while they're there, uh, Ruth goes out to uh, uh, gather some grain so that they can eat and not starve. And she goes to a man's uh, field by the name of Boaz. And when Boaz sees her and asks about her, he knows her story. He knows how devoted she has been to Naomi. Uh, he tells all of his people, that don't, don't harm her. Uh, don't make fun of her. Help her to get what she needs. And they do. And when uh, um, Ruth goes back, she tells Naomi where she was. And, and um, Naomi says, well, maybe God hasn't given up on us just yet. And then there's this uh, uh, little word in Ruth chapter 3. This is one of my favorite verses in the story. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. 
One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. <laughs> you see, that is every woman's lot in life and goal and purpose and mission is to make sure that they marry everybody off. It's just, uh, and it's not anything new. Uh, it was that way in, in Ruth and Naomi's day. And so, and of course, Naomi is just trying to set their future, her future, but especially Ruth's, and it's a wonderful thing. And she says, there's nobody better than Boaz. And so Ruth uh, makes her affection to Boaz known. And he says, well, there's a relative that's closer than I am. He needs to, um, he needs to have the first shot at this. And so they meet at the city gate and he asks the man about it. And the man says, no, I can't take Ruth. And so Boaz and Ruth are married and they ultimately have a son in chapter four. Um, and that son is named Obed, and Obed has a son, and his name is Jesse, and Jesse has a son, and his name is David, who would become not just the king of Israel, but whose line would be uh, the line of the kings, the royal bloodline, but would also be the bloodline of Jesus of Nazareth, who would be the king of kings. And so Ruth, this Moabite, faithful Moabite woman, becomes the great-grandmother of King David and becomes an ancestor of Jesus Christ and is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, surprisingly enough, as Matthew gives that genealogy. Well, it's a great story, one of my favorite stories. I love to tell that story, and uh, if uh, there was a little bit of repetition there, because of last week, I know that we had some uh, technical problems, so I wanted to get back to that story and now move on. So turn or click to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1. <clears throat> and this is where we begin to transition away from the time of the judges, still there for a while, about eight chapters or so, and then into the time of the monarchy when King Saul becomes the king of Israel. Um, but first, we're introduced to another great woman of faith, and her name is Hannah. And we read about her in, in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, Hannah is married to a man by the name of Elkanah. He has two wives. Uh, uh, Hannah is one, and the other wife has children, and Hannah does not. Uh, Penina has children, but uh, Hannah does not. And because of that, uh, she is considered an outcast herself, and uh, uh, her rival makes fun of her, and we're reminded of the story of Leah and Rachel and all of the things that went on uh, there. And so they would go to uh, uh, the place of worship, and they would um, have their worship there at Shiloh, and, um, and, and Hannah would have no, no child with her, but uh, her husband Elkanah uh, continue to show his affection to her and try to take care of her, but it would not ease uh, her pain. And so one day there in Shiloh, she is praying and she is fasting and she is miserable. And Eli, the priest, sees her and he thinks that she's drunk. And he says, stop drinking so much. And she says, no, no, my Lord, I, I have not been drinking. I, and she tells him her plight. And so Eli says, well, go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. In 1 Samuel 1, verse 17. And I love her response. In verse 18, she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer 
downcast. And so she knew that God was going to answer her prayers. And uh, uh, she and Elkanah have a, have a child, have a son in the natural way. But what, um, what Hannah had prayed to the Lord is that if you will grant me a son, I will give him back to you. I will give him back to you. And that's exactly what happens. They have a son, his name, they name him Samuel. And she keeps him uh, at home until he is weaned and able to uh, live away from her. And then they go back and they go back to Eli and, and Hannah tells Eli, I am that woman that you granted uh, a blessing for. And now I have a son and now I am bringing him back. And just as I promised, I am giving him to you. And Samuel, as a child, is raised uh, in Shiloh uh, by Eli and those that are tending him there. And, um, and uh, Samuel's mother would come and visit and she would bring him clothes and she would bring him a blessing. And scripture says that uh, the Lord opened up uh, Hannah's womb and that she was able to have other sons and daughters. And it's a great, great story. And in chapter 2 of 1 Samuel, Hannah sings this song of praise to God. And I just want to read a little bit of it because you've read it and it tells you what joy was found in her heart. 1 Samuel 2, Then Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not keep talking so proudly or let your mouth speak such arrogance. For the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. The bows of the warriors are broken, but those who stumble are armed with strength. Those who were full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. And so Hannah gives glory to God and, and acknowledges that though she had been suffering, though she had been barren, though she had been miserable, the Lord heard her prayers and answered them. Such a great, great story. And so Samuel now finds himself as a young boy there being raised uh, by Eli in his household. And Eli has a couple of sons. Eli is um, uh, the priest there. And he has a couple of sons, but they're very unfaithful. They're very wicked. And so God uh, is not going to call them to continue the ministry uh, of Eli. Uh, but verse 18 of 1 Samuel 2 says, but Samuel, in contrast to Eli's sons, was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. He was ministering there. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. And sure enough, uh, Eli blesses Hannah again and she has three sons and two daughters. But it says at the end of verse 21, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And skipping down to verse 26, and the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord and with people. Something very similar to what was said about John the Baptist, but also what was said about Jesus of Nazareth. 
And so we continue on reading, and in chapter 3, the Lord calls Samuel, and it's such a fun, fun story, uh, because Samuel is there. He is there in the presence of the ark of the Lord, and um, and he hears the Lord say, uh, Samuel, and, and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes back. He says, here I am. And he goes to Eli and he says, what did you want? And Eli says, I, I, don't, I don't want anything. I didn't call you. And it, same thing again, same thing again. Finally, Eli says, look, this is, this is the Lord. And, and Samuel basically says, so what do I do? And Eli says, well, if he calls you again, um, then tell him, um, here I am. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And sure enough, God calls him again. Only this time he calls him and uses his name twice. Samuel, Samuel. And we realize that there is urgency there. And he gives Samuel the word of what's going to happen, that Eli and his sons are going to be killed and, uh, and that God would bring deliverance through Samuel. And sure enough, that's exactly what happens. Uh, in battle, uh, Samuel's sons, uh, Eli's sons are killed. The Ark of the Covenant is taken captive by the Philistines. And when Eli hears about it, he falls over and is killed um, because the Ark of the Covenant had been captured. But it doesn't go very well for the Philistines. And they finally send it back uh, to the Israelites. And, uh, and the Ark is ultimately uh, returned. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 7, I don't know if you caught this or not. I hope you did. If you were reading closely, hopefully you did. Samuel is able to help the Israelites gain victory over their enemies and, uh, and the Philistines and is finally able to restore some sense of peace uh, because the Philistines had been oppressing them. Again, very similar to the cycle of the judges. And so Samuel does that and he leads the people. And when God delivers them, he he uh, builds a memorial. He takes a stone and sets it up between Mizpah and Shin. First Samuel 7 verse 12 says, and he named it Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us. And so we have that wonderful song, O Thou Fount of Many Blessings, a wonder, one of my favorite songs. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Twyla Paris has a wonderful version of that song. Um, but we have that part of that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by thy help I've come. And that's exactly what this means. Ebenezer is a, is a stone of help. And uh, Samuel raises that up as a memorial to God uh, who had given them victory over the Philistines. Well, we continue on in chapter 8. And, uh, and the Israelites go to Samuel and they say, look, um, you're old. And just like with Eli, his children were not faithful. A very sad commentary on a very good man. Um, and so they say this in, um, in verse 4 of 1 Samuel 8. All the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah, where he was from. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. We want to be just like all the other nations, they say. But Samuel knows this is not a good idea. Moses had, had given laws, you remember, about what they would do 
if they had a king. Uh, but Samuel knows this is not going to please the Lord. Uh, verse 6 of 1 Samuel 8, When they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. They've done this all along, and they're doing it still, God says. And so he tells them, Go ahead and anoint the man that I will choose to be their king, but warn them about what's going to happen. And Samuel does, but the people are, are uh, unmoved. And they say, no, we want a king over us. First uh, Samuel 8, verse 19, Then we will be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. And so God leads the right man to Samuel and leads Samuel to him, and his name is Saul. And he is of the tribe of Benjamin, which, as you know from reading the very difficult end of the book of Judges, was the least of the tribes now, almost eradicated. Um, but Saul is a Benjamite. And sure enough, God leads Samuel to Saul, and he anoints him uh, privately first uh, as king. And, and Saul can't believe it. He can't believe it. He's afraid to tell anybody, really. But he brings about some victories for uh, the Israelites. And then they gather together in chapter 11. And Saul is confirmed and made anointed publicly as uh, king. And it's really interesting um, the way that happens when they're trying to find him. As they're deciding between the tribes and between the families within the tribe of Benjamin and who is it that God has called to be the king, it is Saul. But they can't find him. In 1 Samuel 10, uh, verse 22, they, they looked and they couldn't find him. In verse 21, so they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So they go and find him, and they bring him out, and he stands head and shoulders above everyone. If you were going to pick out someone to be king that just looked like the king, it would be Saul. And at first, he's very humble. He, he doesn't want anyone to know. He's afraid. He's, he doesn't feel worthy. He's hiding rather than um, having them make him king. But unfortunately, as we are reading already and will read over the next uh, several days, um, Saul does not hold true to that faith and that desire to be obedient to God. We see him disobey Samuel, and we see him disobey God, and we see him rejected as king. And another man, a man after God's own heart, uh, is called and is anointed to be the king of Israel. And so we will soon be reading about David. Some exciting stories, as you know, in the next uh, few days of reading. And uh, I look forward to sharing with you about those stories. Uh, and we'll do that this coming Thursday. May God bless and keep you.